How's everyone doing this morning? Doing well? Doing well? How about all the uh, Indianapolis Colt fans? How you doing this morning? Now, let, hold on one second. Hey, he made the best decision for his life, really. So let's, let's uh, cheer him on. He knows what's best for him. He's entitled to that, and uh, he was a great football player. And uh, So don't let that wreck your life, by the way, okay? <laughs> today, as we walk through this series of messages, today we get to look at another area in our lives where we get to do hard things. Opportunity for us to live the way that God intended us to live. And we only get one chance to live on planet Earth. We get one body to live in. And God wants us to take this body and steward it well. And he wants us to be able to stand before him one day as we stand before the Lord and Savior. And for us to be able to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That should be our goal. That should be our mission. To stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat and say, I took what you've given me, God. I took this life, this vessel that you've given me. I gave it my best, and I lived for you. That's why you put me here to be on mission. It wasn't about me. It was all about you. And nothing matters more in that moment when you stand before Jesus than to hear those words. I pondered that again this week and, and considered, what does that mean? It means that we should steward our bodies well. So let me just begin there. That begins with the right motivation. And what should be our motivation? Why should we steward our bodies well? So that we can serve God and love others. Love God and love others. That's why we're here. And as you go out through this message today, know this. This has nothing to do about a distorted body, body image that you, our culture tries to define. Or a, a certain body size or a certain body shape. Or having a six pack or giant biceps. Has nothing to do with that. Please hear me this morning. Healthy is not what you see on airbrush covers of magazines as you walk through the checkout line. There are plenty of unhealthy, overweight people in our world. There are plenty of unhealthy, skinny people in our world. There are plenty of unhealthy, average-sized people in our world. And even unhealthy bodybuilders and professional athletes. But God wants us to take the body he's given us. And I'm going to ask you today to ask yourself some hard questions and to steward it well. Healthy is what you see when you get lab work back and everything is within range. Healthy is having enough energy to play with your own kids. Even a personal goal that I've had for many years as a dad. I wanted to be able to be fit enough as an adult, as an older man, to be able to play basketball with my sons at when they were adults. And that was a goal. One of the many I have goals with my wife also and our children. But that was a goal. I want to be able to lace up my sneaks. And obviously I'll never be the basketball player I was when I was 20 or 30. Even though I think I can. My body says no. I know that. I, I'm a realist. But one of my goals was to be able to play an adult league. And praise God I was able to. That's a goal. And so one of the things that motivated working out and exercising. That was one of the primary things. Healthy is our body feeling good, being in good mental space because of diet, exercise. Maybe so much that you can actually love your neighbors and love your enemies. That's what a good, healthy mind and body does. Healthy is pleasing God by what we do with our bodies, not accolades from others because of the shape of our bodies. The Bible has a lot to say about stewarding our bodies. Grab your Bibles, let's dig in, let's see some hard things, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, you need a Bible, hold your hand up, ushers will put one in your hand, you can take it home as a gift from Grace Community. But stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. Now picture the church at Corinth receiving this. They got a letter from Paul. And so they're standing around. Imagine you hearing this for the very first time. Paul's writing you. He knew what the church needed. And so this letter is being read by someone who stood up. And as they're reading this letter, they got to the middle of the letter. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth. And he's saying it to the church at Grace Community today. Read with me verses 19 to 20. Ready, read. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. 
You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. You may have your seat. Do you ever wonder why Paul said, or authors of the Bible say what they say? Do you ever wonder why when you read an epistle or a book in, in the Bible, why did they include that in the Bible? Why did they, Paul write that to the church of Corinth? Why did he take time to say, honor God with your bodies? Because as he looked at the church at Corinth, as he got reports back from this church, he knew that there were many of them that weren't honoring God with their bodies. But there's some that were. He knew that many of them have forgotten that their body is a vessel of God. And so as any good, inspirational leader would do, biblical man that wants, woman wants to come alongside, hey, say, hey, you need to get this part of your life up to where God wants it to be. So Paul is saying this, you are his sanctuary. Paul doesn't just let that wash over you a little bit. That thought hit me this week in a different way. And even in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says the same thing. Do you not know that, 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 that you are God's temple? You see, we live like we don't know this or believe this to be true for a, a big part of our lives. I want you to know today that it does matter that Jesus lives in you. The God of the universe has taken up resonance in you and you are his sanctuary. Now just pause for a second and think about that. That means Richard. That means Jeremy. You know Christ. I know Christ. That means you are God's sanctuary. And wherever you go, you are the sanctuary of God. You house God. Now why is that important? Because in the New Testament, during this time, they were remembering back in the Old Testament, where would God reside at then? So Paul is saying, now listen, this is a new covenant. This is a new time. God now dwells in Christ's followers. And you are his sanctuary. You see, in the Old Testament, God's presence was in a physical temple or tabernacle. And you might remember a place called the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory Literally, think about this for a second. You see, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost after Jesus ascended into heaven. His presence was seen before that in physical buildings. And often you would see in the Old Testament where the Spirit overpowered someone. The Spirit came upon someone. The Spirit came upon Samson and he pushed back the pillars. Yes, there were times when the Spirit overpowered and the Spirit came upon. But Paul is saying, listen. God used to live in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant. But now, there's no need for buildings built by men or brick or mortar. God lives in you. You are the sanctuary. And everywhere you go, those that know Christ, God goes with you. Think about that. Although there was a hunger and longing for his presence back then, even David in Psalm 51.11 said this, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Why was David saying that? He said, Lord, I want you. God, I want you to be with me. Please, don't cast me from your spirit. And David would later have such a desperate need for God. And such a hungry heart. And he wanted God so badly in his presence in his life. That he said this. Look at Psalm chapter 27. And look what he says. David said this many years ago. Before God start, started living in human beings. It says in Psalm 27. David was so hungry for the presence of God in his life. And the Holy Spirit. That he said this in Psalm 27 verse 4. He said one thing God. I ask from the Lord. And he says this only do I seek. In other words, if I could just have one thing, Lord, and if, it's, if this is the only thing I seek, he said, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And you ever ask, why? Because he knew that in the temple, he knew that in the sanctuary, he knew that in the Holy of Holies and in the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God's presence resided. He said, if I can only have one thing, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then he goes on. 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Why? For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me upon a high rock. The reality is that prayer, that longing that David prayed thousands of years ago, God answered. And he, the longing of David and the followers of the Old Testament, he answered it and he would no longer be contained in bricks and mortar. And guess what God did when Jesus ascended? After he, he died on the cross, after he walked on earth in the resurrection, as Pastor Tannen showed us a few weeks ago, that, that he, he visibly came. He then ascended and he says, and when I go, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he will live in you. No longer in the tabernacle. No longer in the Ark of the Covenant. No longer in the Holy of Holies. He was going to do the unthinkable and allow the Holy Spirit to live in us. Listen, that is a game changer. You see, you and I don't need to go to the temple. We don't need to wait once a year till the priest goes to the temple and walks into the Holy Holies. And when he did, he would go for the Day of Atonement. And he would offer an offering for all the sins of the people. And he would go in there, and it was such a holy place because God was there, that they would tie a rope to him around his waist. And when he would walk in, he would have bells on him. And the reason he had bells on him, because those outside who were holding the rope, Wanted to know that he was still alive. And every once in a while he'd move, say, I'm, I'm here, I'm in here. And if he were to die because he was unholy or had sin in his life, the bells would stop. And because that place was so sacred and so holy that the servants had to drag him out of the Holy of Holies. Drag him out. It was such a sacred place. And now God says, you are my sanctuary. Did you think about that this morning? You are the personal temple sanctuary of God. He no longer, and we no longer have to walk to the tabernacle. God is with us, and God is in us. That's a game changer. You see, because they had been hearing about this old covenant, he said, huh, no, no, no longer. When Jesus left, he left the comforter, and he lives with you. You see, it's a game changer when you know someone lives in you like that. I have a friend, a preacher friend, Jeff Bogue, who lives in Akron, Ohio. And, and in his neighborhood that he lives in down the street is LeBron James' home, one of the homes that he has in Akron. He has many homes. And so people often go by this home and they take pictures, selfies of themselves out in front of LeBron's house. And we rode by his house. I said, sure, I like to see him. So we went by LeBron's house. Big place. Just in Akron. There's this gigantic home in this neighborhood. And there were kids out there taking selfies of themselves. Why? Because they knew that LeBron lives there. Someone important. Someone valuable. Wouldn't that be something that people start taking pictures of you and I because they knew Jesus lives here. Take a selfie. God lives there. And the truth is, do they see him? Do you live as though, do you, do you steward this body as if God lives in you? Luke would later say in Acts, he wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles in 1724. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He lives in us. So what does that have to do with taking care of the physical body? So very much. God lives in you and me. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And 1 Corinthians reminds us, didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has done for you? God is the owner. We're not the owner of our bodies. We are stewards of our bodies because God bought us. Jesus went to the cross, took our sins, and he ransomed us from our debt of sin. And when we fully trusted him as Lord and Savior, 
We became his, and he lives in us, and now he owns us. Jesus bought us. We don't own our own bodies. He has the title to our lives. It's the same way you have a title to your home or a title to your car. You own it. And so knowing that you own it, you want it taken care of. In fact, if you're a good steward of your car because you own it, what do you do? You change the oil. You make sure when the engine light comes on, you get it checked out instead of waiting 50,000 miles to get it checked out. Why? Because something is wrong. Something's wrong. And so we are supposed to manage This thing that God has given us called the human body, and we're supposed to listen to the Spirit. And if there's indicators, a brother or sister comes and says, hey, there's an area in your life that needs checked, then we should check it. We should remove the engine light. Think about it this way. Imagine tomorrow morning, every single person here at Grace Community Church, a zillionaire really loves you. And they said, you know what? I'm going to get every single person who came to Grace Community Church, not you watching by airways, but everyone that's here. I'm going to give you a brand new Lamborghini. Huh? Somebody say, I don't even know what a Lamborghini is. It's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> and I'm going to roll it into your driveway. I'm going to run it back your lane. I'm going to park it on your busy street. And every one of us, Monday morning in a Lamborghini, and the owner says, here, this Lamborghini, I own it. But I want you to take care of it. And you can have it as long as you want. But I want you to know it's not yours. It's mine. Let me ask you. How would you take care of that? You know what you'd probably do? You'd probably get it detailed every so often, wouldn't you? And you'd probably keep it clean. And if you're like me, you'd burn the rubber right off that baby. (laughs) But what would you do? You would put new tires on it. And you would take care of it because it was someone else's, but they were gracious enough to let you steward it. They owned it, but you got to steward it. You would take care of it. Now here's where everything breaks down. The King of kings and Lord of lords lives in us. And some of us take better cares of our cars and our guns and our dogs and our cats than we do the body that the Lord of the universe lives in. Woo, that hurt, didn't it? We feed it junk. Some of us have an exercise in months. Some of us have plans to get double whoppers after the service today. Oh, we'll get that one that's a fake or whatever it is. Try one of them. By the way, Josh, our son, tried it just to see what it was like. And he said, Dad, didn't taste any different. And you feel miserable afterwards, just like the regular one. (laughs) But the truth is, we're his sanctuary. And there's no Lamborghini on planet Earth that compares to God. And we house the living God. We no longer have to go to the temple to see our God. And back in the Old Testament, even if you bumped into the Ark of the Covenant, you would die because it was so holy. You see, temples in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holy, were places that were treated with such care That you made sure you kept it as clean as possible. And you made sure your heart was right with God before entering them. Because why? God lived in the holy of holies and resided there. And guess what? He now lives in you. How you managing it? How you taking care of it? What's your plans for lunch? What's your exercise plan? What minerals and vitamins are you taking? Could you rescue your own kids? If they were on top of a mountain, or would you have to send someone else? Because you are so unfit. And yet all the while, we're sanctuaries. Everywhere we go, we don't need to go to a temple. Where do I need to go find? He's with you. The Bible says he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. 
You see, we're not our own anymore, Paul said. We were bought with a price, and God chose to save us and live in us. Therefore, honor God with your body. Our bodies are the vessels of the Holy Spirit. We should seek to honor God by being the healthiest, strongest, cleanest vessels possible. Woo! How you feel? You see, in the same way God's people went to the tabernacle and temple to meet God, your life and your vessel should be shining so brightly with Jesus that when they people meet you, they meet Jesus. God is here. This morning when I woke up, you know where God was at? 20081 County Road 36, New Paris, or County Road 146, New Paris, Indiana. You want to know where God was at? He was in here. And you know where God is at right now? If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you don't have to look for him. He's in you. And we have a chance to take care of the temple of God. And back in that day, they took care of the temples. And they took they, they, they made sure they were, their sins were confessed, those priests for they walked in. And they made sure they fasted and they prayed because they were fearful. If they got too close to Jesus and they weren't taking care of the emotional and spiritual and relational and physical part of their bodies, that they would be struck dead in the holy of holies. You see, what you take in here and what you watched last night and what you ate and what you said and what you thought and where you went, you took Jesus with you. He didn't leave you nor forsake you. What did you let Jesus view last night through your lenses? If you were in the Old Testament, would it have been, boom, drag him out? So God says, take care of that vessel. Honor God with your body. You see, I want Jesus to be revealed in my mortal body. I realize that some of us have limitations that are beyond our control when it comes to health. But many of us have some lifestyle choices to make so that we can be used by Jesus to reflect his glory. Your body is an instrument to be used by God. And he wants to use you. Let me try to illustrate. Have you ever tried to use a chainsaw when the chainsaw blade is dull? Have you ever tried? Like, have you ever tried to cut a piece of oak with a chainsaw blade that's dull? What's it do? And what's it do? It just smokes. And so what do you do? You try to push harder. Nothing happens. It's just dull. The instrument or the tool needs to be sharpened. The instrument or the tool needs to be adjusted. The instrument needs to be taken to the mechanic and looked at and say, hey, can you fix this so that it can be used properly so it's not dull. When we were in Alabama, when Hurricane Katrina came through down below years ago, we sent many here from Grace Community. I was on the first team in and There were 17 men that left. We bought chainsaws and and we brought shovels and we brought first aid supplies. And we left on a Monday morning. We were going to go down and help our brothers and sisters that were being flooded out by this horrible, horrible flood. And so as we went down there, one of our primary responsibilities was to cut down trees that had fallen on homes. And so I remember we all had sharp chainsaws and we were ready to go. And, and so each day we would go out and we cut trees. I mean, it was 10 hours, 12 hours a day of just cutting branches and cutting trees, trying to help people who had been desecrated by the storm. And so as using the saw from time to time, you would hit something or you'd hit the ground or you'd hit a rock or it would just get dull. And so you knew when it was dull, it wouldn't cut properly and it wasn't the instrument that it could be. And so we had another guy that was with us, and he was in a trailer with a drop-down back. And anytime your saw wasn't running properly, if it was misfiring or needed sharpened, you would walk into the back of this trailer, and back of this trailer was Art Henderson, who was a mechanic. And so you say, Art, fix it up. This chainsaw is just about useless because it's dull and it hasn't been tuned up. It needs sharpened. 
And so he would go out and he would sharpen the chainsaw and, and he would clean the air filter and, and he would open up the carburetor and clean it out and, and put it back together and then you would fire it up and it would run like it was supposed to and you could do the work. And probably the truth is, some of you, the engine light is on and it's been on for a while. And you're misfiring and it's all. And as iron sharpens iron... You need a tune-up. Why? So that you can be used as the instrument of God because God lives in us. We are his sanctuary. And everywhere we go, God goes with us. You see, life is a gift, and our body is the only place we have to live in. You see, I can't live in your body and you can't live in my body. I have to take care of this vessel that God has given me 57 years worth. And you need to take care of your vessel. With that being said, I know that physical health often runs parallel with spiritual health. You see, when we're physically healthy, we are more energetic. Boy, did I feel good this week. Praise God, when I went out and ran, I didn't feel any pain and ran with occurred on Thursday and ran with Josh yesterday. You have this unusual energy that you haven't had before. That's, I know it's hard for you to imagine, but I got it. It's incredible. Praise God. Yet when we are sluggish and out of shape and overweight, our energy is diminished. And often the reason we are, let's just be frank, let's talk hard stuff. We overeat. We junk. We don't exercise. You see, and many of us have become gluttons. In fact, it's not a rare problem. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 16, just turn back. Some of you probably don't want to, but go ahead anyhow. I'm just reading what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 16. Look at Exodus chapter 16. Look at verses 1 to 3. Exodus 16 verses 1 to 3. Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea They're getting ready to be fed by man on quail that God supernaturally is giving them. They have seen miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And then it says in 16 verse 1, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community, what's it say? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And I want to say, are you kidding me? Just go back and remember, you crossed the Red Sea, dudes. Like, what do you got to grumble about? How many of you have walked across the Red Sea lately? And then it says this, verse 3. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate whoppers and all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They were thinking about all the pots of meat they used to eat. And they ate all the food they wanted in Egypt. They wanted to go back to the slavery because of gluttony. They wanted whoppers over freedom. I was are you kidding me? Yes. They wanted pot roast over a new home and a promised land. They wanted to satisfy the cravings of their stomachs more than following God. They wanted the golden corral over abundant life. You understand that one, don't you, Tandon, huh? (laughs) You see, the grumblings began because of the insatiable desire for food. You see, whatever you feed, that will control you. Feed your flesh, that will control you. Feed the spirit, he will lead you. You see, God's people here and today have forgotten that while they think more brings happiness, gluttony will rob you of happiness. Food and overeating 
will never increase pleasure. It will decrease your happiness because you have shifted toward self-centeredness and away from dependency on God. And for some reason, we believe the cure-all for every human is to consume more. So what do we do? I'm not feeling good. Let's go shopping. Let's take some pills. I don't want to do the exercise. Someone got a diet pill that I don't have to work out. I mean, it's nuts. It requires hard work. The cure-all for every human heart's ill is to consume more. Fill in the blank. I'll buy a new house. I'll buy a new car. And that'll make me happy. The Israelites actually thought the buffet bar at Pharaoh's buffet would be better than the bread of life. You see, mankind, I don't know if you knew this, it's the only animal whose desire increases the more they are fed. (laughs) But that's good news, huh? Feed the Spirit. I want more of the Spirit. I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. You feed that side of you. I want more. I want more. I want more. Give me more. Give me more. You feed the flesh. Give me more. Give me more. You know what that happens? You feed less the Spirit. We're the only thing on planet Earth that wants more once it's fed that. One man said this, human gluttony is like a mosquito bite. The more we scratch it, the more it itches. And overconsumption creates new appetites and just new miseries. As a leader, when I read this about Moses, I was heartbroken. He had just led his people through the Red Sea and is navigating them across the desert. And they are grumbling. Why? Because they wanted to go back to Egypt. At least they had three square meals a day. <laughs> and Lord, you're giving us quail. And we can't even like double up on it. Because if we, if we double up on it, the manna, it, it, it molds and it rottens. Like we can't even have cupboards. <laughs> Solomon said this in Proverbs 28, 7. He said, a discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. Remember, the root of gluttony is self-centeredness. You want comfort. You want to feed your own wants and needs and desires. And you have replaced food for Jesus. So you've organized and sometimes secretly arranged your day to comfort your gluttony. And you'd be surprised who are gluttons. It has nothing to do with waistline. You know what we do? We stash food. How many of you have food stashed and your husband doesn't know about it? How many of you have food stashed away from your kids? It's your sweets, your stuff. It's your own ice cream, and they can't reach it. Come on. How many? How many have stuff stashed away from, from your wives and your, your own? It's in your truck, and no one knows it there. But, man, when you open up that glove box, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups Deluxe. <laughs> Woo, that hurt, didn't it? You eat while you're cooking it. Some of you love cooking because you know what? Oh, I'm just tasting. Make sure it tastes good. (laughs) You purchase food that satisfies your stomach and you say, oh, it's it's healthy. It's healthy. Swam in that ocean. It's healthy. (laughs) You have snack habits at gas stations and munch between meals. Yet you have used excuses like, well... We can't waste it, so hey, let me finish your plate too, Sonny. <laughs> we got people in Africa, they're starving. <laughs> I heard that when I was a kid. You ever hear that one? I used to tell my mom, well, then ship it to them, Mom. <laughs> I didn't go so well. <laughs> you see, gluttony stems from fear. The fear that somehow God isn't enough. A fear that... You can't make it without a Twinkie. A fear that somehow God won't provide tomorrow. Yet my Bible and your Bible says this. Think about this. That our God will supply how many of our needs? All of our needs. Besides, think about this. Don't you think God can take care of you? Like, God, where, God, where, where are you at, God? He says, oh, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I, I, I live in you. God, where are you at? God, where, where, where are you at? Hello? <laughs> I live in you. 
You are my sanctuary. These Israelites who hoarded out of fear and selfishness lost it all here and later on. They didn't even see the promised land. And even though gluttony isn't necessarily measured by our waistlines, it can lead to diminished lifestyles. The true danger of gluttony is not that it will lead to flabby waistlines, but it will lead to flabby souls. Gluttony becomes an idol. You can have an almost worshipful experience with food. You ever meet people like that? Oh, I just came. Six o'clock tonight. I love food. <laughs> Praise God. And they say God like that too. <laughs> no, we do. We eat between meals and you work out so that you can have a blizzard afterwards. Guilty? Yeah, I, I got to go work out so I can have that double Dutch Chinese blizzard whatever. <laughs> or, or I'll eat a Whopper, then I'll go to Energy 33 and have one of those, whatever those things are. You eat when you're restless. You eat before you go to bed. You eat. When you're bored, you eat when you watch TV, you eat when you're frustrated, you eat when you're depressed, and you stand at the refrigerator and graze like a cow. Guilty? Come on, I'm guilty. What can I eat like that won't keep me up all night? By the way, don't eat chocolate. You see, the purpose of food is to meet our nutritional needs, not our wants. Moderation is the key. Now hear me out. Moderation is the key. There are some things that you can enjoy, and I, we, God wants you to enjoy, and, and I think 80-20 is a good principle to live by. There's 20% of the time where, man, <laughs> let me tell you, red velvet cake, I'm in. But Moderate. You see, exercise is a gift to us to use for his glory. You ever think about that? Let me ask you, how many of you feel like exercise is a gift to you from God? <laughs> it is. And you know what God is saying as he lives in us? As we get up each morning, he's saying, walk, run, move, get some breakfast. This temple, this sanctuary is looking sorry. You see, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and his relationship with God and man. You might say, well, Jesus, he, didn't, he wasn't worried about exercise. Jesus, Jesus didn't ever say anything about exercise. Like, that's like a modern day thing. That's like people want to make money. Well, Jesus grew in stature. You know what stature is? Health. And you know where Jesus spent most of his time walking? In fact, a person has studied the life of Christ in the Gospels. And they looked at his journeys that are listed. And John said he did even more things and even more miracles. So he walked to other places too. And so this is just a low estimate, by the way. If you record the three years of ministry in Jesus' life, he walked approximately 3,000 miles. So what does that mean? He walked 1,000 miles a year. So what does that mean? Divided by 52. Go ahead. Do, do, do the math. How many miles is that a week? Jesus walked two to three miles a day. Let me just ask you some really hard questions. When you have a chance at an airport to walk up the moving steps or walk up the stationary steps, what is your first inclination? <laughs> We use elevators when we can walk up stairways. You see, there's so many ways that we, we can get our heart moving and ticking. We take cabs for four blocks to go to the store. We go to Bible studies in our own cul-de-sac and we drive. I know people who drive six houses to go to a small group. They won't even take their kids and walk a quarter mile. 
Why not hop on your bikes with your family and ride there? We're worn out after one trip around the mall and end up at the food court eating while we rest. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll just eat this ice cream while you go. Come back. I'll, I'll be ready. We're out of breath two trips down the basketball court. Why? Because we haven't prioritized fitness. Okay, you might be saying, it's very true. Well, Pastor Jim, I've been handed this stinking gene pool. Guess what? Yes, we have. I'm with you. It's called cholesterol that I had no control over. Your genetic history is part of who you are. You see, your biology may create more challenges. However, it won't stop you from being successful and being able to exercise and eat properly. And by taking care of your body and monitoring health and making healthy lifestyle changes, you will greatly enhance your quality of life and potentially save your own life. Paul would say to Timothy, First Timothy 4.12, Timothy, listen to me. He wanted to be a preacher. And he said, now listen, Timothy, if you get anything down, get this one down. He said this, I want you to set an example, Timothy. In your speech, boy, could we learn from that on social media. Timothy, I want you to speak life <laughs> on social media, not death. I don't want you to complain anymore the rest of this week about how much you hate Andrew Luck. Don't, don't, don't do it. In your speech. He says, I want you to set example in your life, like the way you live. Do people look at you and see Jesus? Are, are people running by and taking selfies with you because they know God's there? <laughs> Then he said, Timothy, I want you, I want you to set example in love. I, I want you to love like we talked about last week. I want, you to, I want you to even love your own enemies. And I know it's not possible on your own, but it's only through the power of Jesus Christ. And then, Timothy, I want you to set an example in purity. I want you to make sure because I want, that what comes into your eye gates and, and what you see and what you touch and what you do is, is pure. Why, Timothy? Because God lives in you. Your sanctuary. And everywhere you go, people say, there's, 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 is that a sanctuary? (laughs) Oh, there's a sanctuary. I can tell by the way they live their life. In real estate, they call it curb appeal. In Christian life, we say, examine my life. Take a look at me. There's any error or sin in my life. Holy Spirit, check it. Holy Spirit, show me. Examine and test my ways to see if I have great curb appeal and if I represent a sanctuary that reflects the goodness and righteousness and godliness of God. Do you got good curb appeal? Your sanctuary. You see, the temples, you know what they were? They were, they were? they were made with gold and silver and, and pearls. And they were just these elaborate places that you came to. Why? Because they knew that inside of this temple was the presence of God. And they wanted people to know that we value what's inside. And we value it so much that we're taking care of it. And you can't even enter the temple if you have sin that's unconfessed. And if you get too close and your life isn't right, you will be dead and will drag you out on the rope. Probably have some work to do, don't we? I've said this, but it's worth repeating. What if you got a call tomorrow morning on your cell phone? It's the secret service from the White House. First you wonder, how'd they get my number? They got it, believe me, they got it. And they said, hey, President Trump's coming in this week and he's staying at your house. <laughs> and regardless of how you feel about the president, we're supposed to pray for our leaders, so you're supposed to be hospitable, so you're opening up your home. And let me ask you something, husbands and wives, singles, 
if you got that news on Monday and he was coming on Wednesday, what might you do to your house? Carpet man, come in. Steam clean. This kid, just call Max. Come paint some walls. Like, let's clean the cupboards. Let's make sure we got good food. Let's make sure that we get out the good dishes. You call up your mom. Mom, that china that you never used, bring it over. You would turn your house upside down and clean it. Why? Because the president of the United States would be living in your house. On Wednesday night. Lest we forget. The king of kings. And lord of lords. Who created the world. Breathed it into existence. Holds it all together. Colossians says. With his hands. Listen. The lord of lords of lords. Lives In you. We should give him the cleanest vessel on planet earth. And he deserves it. Amen. Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So what? Whether you eat or whether you drink. Whether Whatever you do, do it all for the glory. I haven't even talked about those who have an excessive bent towards alcohol. You numb yourselves at night. You, you drink because you, you need it because it, it numbs you. I haven't even talked about cigarette smoking. Hear me out. That is the absolute worst thing you can do for your lungs. I haven't even talked about chewing tobacco. You see, all those things we take into our vessels. Listen, do you think a priest would ever walk into the Holy of Holies with a cigarette in his mouth and he would, he would, he would walk in there eating a Whopper? No. Why? Because God lives there. I believe the hardest words to ever hear from our Savior would be this. This is how I wanted to use you, but because of your poor health choices, you were limited to this. Can you imagine standing before God at the beam of seat one day, and he's in, 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 a, in a resurrected body, and he says, hey, hey, by the way, this is how I wanted to use you, but because of your poor health choices, you couldn't do that. You couldn't fly overseas. You couldn't walk down the road. You couldn't do that tough mutter with your friends who were lost. And they just needed someone to help them over the wall. You, 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 you couldn't run and rescue your child and, and maybe rescue someone else that was drowning too because you were unfit. It would break my heart to have the Lord say to me, Jim, this is what I had in store for you, but you came up short because... Of your poor health choices. You see, making the right choices with our help allows us to serve God and love his people. Isn't that why we're here? It's the only reason we're here. But this will require us to do hard things. And I made a lot of enemies today, but I don't care. Because my Bible and your Bible says... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do you get that? (laughs) It's called walking in the Spirit. (laughs) And when we walk in the Spirit, we feed the Spirit. And when we feed the Spirit, we can do things that the flesh doesn't want us to do. This past Friday night... I stood in Syracuse at our lodge. And by the way, let me just give a commercial for the lodge. If you've never been to the lodge and you come to Grace Community Church, go there. We have walking trails and running trails. You can put kayaks in. You can put canoes in. We have free disc golf courses. You can play volleyball. We have iron grills that are there just like you would go to Shanklin Park. You can go there this afternoon and you can have a a, a lunch with your family. It's peaceful. It's quiet. You can exercise. You can get away. Go to the lodge. Friday night as I stood there and looked up on the hill and looked at these hundreds of men who came out for our fight club kickoff. 
the thought struck me like, God, why did you give me another Friday night? Because last Friday night I was in the hospital with heart procedure. Lord, I could have died. But you want me here. And on that night I shared, I shared my story and I said, I believe God kept me alive because he wants me to tell you this. That Jesus loves you. And he went to the cross for you and he gave his life for you. And if you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, he'll save you too. And as I stood there and shared that story, I said, if there's anyone here, man, this would be a great way to start our chapters. Anyone here doesn't know Jesus and wants to trust in Jesus, then trust in him. And I said, just pray with me. And then I said this. I said, if you trusted in Jesus Christ tonight, I want you to come down and stand with me. And ten men walked off that hill and trusted in Jesus Christ. I spoke to these guys afterwards. I was able to catch up the four of them. And I pulled them in. Put my arm around them. I said, I want to let you know, that's why God kept me alive. Because he wanted you to know Jesus. Now listen, that's why he wants to keep you alive. Some of us got some work to do. Some of us have some engine lights on. Some of us are fathers of our families, and we could not even rescue our own kids if they were three miles away. We couldn't make it to them. Listen, we are the sanctuaries of God. And everywhere we go, God is in us. Oh, Lord, help us. I pray, Spirit, that you'll convict. And Lord, even as we sang this song on the hill Friday night that I see victory, hundreds and hundreds of men sang, and they were claiming victory over relationships, and they were claiming victory over health, and they were, they were claiming victory over brokenness, and they were claiming victory over chains in their lives. God, we're going to sing it today, and we're going to claim victory here in the areas of our lives that need addressed in health, and we're going to take steps. And yes, many of us have been handed things that we have no control over, but what we can control, God, we can become self-disciplined. Why? So that we can love God and serve others. So we pray, God, that we would see victory. I encourage you to stand as we sing these words, and there'll be a declaration of this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.